So the whole thing, the social, environmental, nutritional, and it's for the people too. If there's a conscientiousness about living well, that should be for all inhabitants in that household. And yeah, I mean, that's what life's about. Let's not just be popping pills all the time, natural or not. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend. I'm Molly Jacobson. Today on Dog Cancer Answers, we have part two of my conversation with Dr. Narda Robinson about cannabis and CBD for dogs. Dr. Narda is a veterinarian and osteopath from Colorado who has a passion for integrative medicine. If you haven't already, I recommend going back and listening to part one. This part of our conversation focuses on some of the specifics of cannabis and dog cancer treatments, as well as lots of insight on the types of products available and how to choose one for your dog. And now let's go back to our conversation with Dr. Narda Robinson. So we've talked about, we've talked about seizures. We've talked about pain and inflammation. Is there anything else to say about those two topics when it comes to anything about dogs specifically or any other uses as an anti-inflammatory and pain control? Yeah. Well, a natural other thing is about cancer. So that's a question too, because we know that cancer is sometimes something that arises after chronic inflammation. Right. So cannabis in general has some actual anti-cancer effects beyond the anti-inflammatory benefits and there's antioxidant benefits and balancing the immune system. And then if there was cancer, then of course the analgesia or the pain control of it. So, you know, and, and but then you can go down that road too much and somebody might think, well, if this has any anti-cancer benefit, I'm going to have my animal on that their whole lives so that they never get cancer. And that's just what I'm going to do. Cause we see some people do that with various herbs, mm-hmm. but you know, so then, then there's questions about that too. Like how are you throwing off their liver for a long-term effect? So we don't know what the long-term damage might be if there is any. So really to put an animal on something their whole lives is not that great to do. We, we need to see what's in it. And then if you had a product that maybe wasn't so well-developed, and if there were heavy metals in it, for example, you're going to have them on that for their whole lives. So that, again, gets back to organic and analyzed well for heavy metals for contaminants during the process. Because cannabis is one of those plants that has been used for environmental cleanup. Right. Because it takes a lot of stuff out of the soil, Mm -hmm. and so then that concentrates in it. So that's, again, where these things have to be analyzed to be safe. So so my understanding is that when a company is using extracts, they can kind of clean the batch for, they can test for pesticides and herbicides and not use products. If they're ethical, they don't use things that are contaminated. Is that what you have found? Do you believe that? Do you- well, I think it just matters on the source that they're taking it from. So, so of course, is it organic? So there's, what's the plant stuff that's coming out? But then also, how are they extracting these oil-based or, you know, these oil-soluble chemicals? And so that's where, like, you could do butane or you could do safflower oil. So when that's there, or, or, or carbon dioxide, when it's there, then how is it then put through processing to remove that and then to test what's at the end. So certain companies are very proprietous about where they're getting 
their strains. I mean, it's like that's their copyright in a way. Mm -hmm. So some of them aren't as transparent about how much CBD is in there or the precursor CBDA. So what's in the plant before it becomes CBD, there's an acid part to it that gets cleaved off with heat. But if you keep that in, that has its own anti-inflammatory effect. So it's very interesting. Mm. But that can be where it's frustrating to know the balance because they might not want to disclose that. So, but in a good certificate of analysis, you'll see, I mean, it can be pages of things and how many microbes, because you don't want germs and things in there, fungi and everything. So it should be that things either were removed or they were never in there in the first place. But I think you are also kind of edging on another issue with cannabis, and that is the impact on wildlife. So if you're not in a warehouse in Denver growing your stuff under lights, I mean, just like what's the environmental impact of growing? So how much electrical consumption is there versus the sun? Mm. What about water? Mm -hmm. And and is that reused? But also if you have fields of cannabis outside, you know, that's bad for wildlife because they will often set, you know, have poison or have, you know, rodenticides or whatever to kill off wildlife so that they don't consume this very valuable crop. And so that's a real negative thing. So it's, it's misleading because we think, oh, this is a green product. Well, it's not as environmentally friendly a lot of times as we'd like it to be. And so I think we need the full picture and whatever product we buy, we should consider what's the environmental impact of whoever grew this in the first place. Okay. All right. I want to make sure that we cover specifically about cancer. When would you consider using a cannabis product with a dog with cancer? Are there times when you wouldn't? Are there times when you would? What kinds of products like oils versus chewables versus, you know, and how you, how you assess that? Like how, as a clinician, do you assess that? What do you teach other clinicians to do? Yeah. Well, once you have a, a good product in mind, which I do, I mean, you can find out who's doing which research. Yeah. I'd like to talk about products as well, but yeah. I know it's kind of tricky. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't mind, but, um, but anyway, so I would say, well, what is the problem that the animal is having? I mean, is there pain? Is there immune dysfunction? Is there lack of appetite? Cause appetite is another thing that these things can be helpful for. Mm -hmm. So I would be fine trying it more proactively than not, except that I would also just want to be cognizant of an herb drug interaction. So if they're getting chemotherapy, then probably, I mean, it, it would be a judgment call because we, we don't clearly know how much it might interact with certain of these drugs. But one option for any herb or supplement is to back down on or stop it when you're co-administering, when there's chemotherapy or if they're having radiation therapy or surgery, then how is a drug that might change the metabolizing properties of the liver. So it might change the way a system handles other medications to raise that drug or to lower it. So you could get an unpredictable amount of conventional drug in the system when you're introducing an herb. I see. But the same happens with certain pharmaceuticals like phenobarbital and tetracycline and things. So that would be my main concern is just not unconsciously mixing it with drugs, but to, if they need it for quality of life, then I think you could make that judgment. Okay, we'll, we'll do it together. But I don't see a problem with animals with cancer having it other than 
just want to be careful. Are there specific drugs that you're concerned about mixing with, with cannabis products? Well, I think we don't know enough yet, Mm -hmm. but you know, so many drugs are processed by the liver. Right. And so CBD, I mean, you're mucking a little bit with the enzymes that would break down a drug or maybe break it into a more active drug. So we don't have a clear enough picture yet, but even when they started to do that anti-seizure study at CSU and they were already on these other drugs, the neurosurgeon that was leading the study just clinically didn't really see a difference in the seizure control. Like she didn't think that it was negatively impacting it. I don't know. They were probably monitoring phenobarb levels and different things, but we know the phenobarbital induces liver enzymes or it increases it. So that one's mucking with liver enzymes too. I mean, again, it's like, well, maybe we don't know everything, but maybe we know enough that it's not going to be the hugest deal in the world right? if an animal gets this and they feel better through it, they live better through it, and they can actually survive the anti-cancer treatment. So I think it's just, can we be flexible and animal patient-centered and do really what's best for them rather than hiding in a corner and saying, oh, I don't know what to do with an herb, you know, or on the other hand, like willy nilly prescribing herbs that you're just only thinking about energies and mysticism and you have no clue about their pharmacology or the fact that you're giving strychnine in an herbal mm. product. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good example. Yeah, um, thank you. I have a question about the anti-inflammatory properties of CBD, mm-hmm. when given orally, is it going to have the same, because generally you don't want to give two anti-inflammatory substances at the same time because the risk of GI side effects increases, right? Right. So how does CBD fit into that picture? Well, it has a more complex mechanism of action. It's not like it's going to, like your traditional anti-inflammatories, you know, block the production of certain enzymes and then, you know, inhibit pro-inflammatory things. It's more working, I mean, I think it's not fully known yet, but it's more working with the endogenous or internal mechanisms that are anti-inflammatory in part by calming down the nervous system and the immune system so that it's not so easily triggered. Ah, okay. Okay, so it's anti-inflammatory, not necessarily like kind of in a brute force way where it says you're doing the wrong thing, stop. And it just blocks receptors or degrades chemicals that the inflammation is associated with. But instead it's going to the parts of the body that regulate inflammation Yeah, and saying, let's calm down, let's take it easy. Let's maybe not produce so much inflammation. So it's a different, it's on the a little bit more at the root of the matter rather than on the end product of inflammation. Yeah, like the COX-1 and COX-2 inhibitors. It's it's not like that kind of abrupt stoppage like that. It may have some effects on that, but you know, you also have this lipoxygenase system that I mean, like essential fatty acids, they they help produce chemicals that help the body in the inflammation resolution phase. So when we're working well, yes, we get inflammation to address an injury and that walls off the area and and just stops us from using that area. But inflammation doesn't just dissipate. We have active processes within our system that then stop the inflammation and clear it out. So yeah, there's so much more to the process than just like, okay, everybody stop what you're doing right now. And I'm going to give you this. Uh, Yeah, you might get an ulcer because of it, but... Okay. Aren't you glad you don't have inflammation anymore? (laughs) (laughs) So I think I've asked you this already, but I want to be sure. Is there anything that you would not 
use CBD alongside? Is there any drug or any situation other than the chemo and radiation where you would be consciously like really analyzing those drugs in that process? Yeah, I mean, not that I can think of right off, but there are now thoughts about, I mean, this would be rare, but there was a case report about a dog that got like a serious skin reaction to CBD. So this can happen again with any kind of product. But if something is not going well or, or that animal is not tolerating the product well, or like with a cat, if they're hiding under the bed all the time and you can't administer it and, and that's quality of life. I mean, I wouldn't do it for that reason, but in general, my go-to approach for helping animals heal is less in the pharmacology realm than the non-pharmacology. Like before, if we had an old dog with arthritis, wasn't eating well, wasn't moving well, could use something else. I'd have CBD preparations on my radar, but before I would do that, I'd be doing acupuncture, massage, laser therapy, therapeutic exercise. I would rather not muck around pharmacologically if I didn't really have to. There's so much we can do with the body's own internal chemistry, internal pharmacopoeia, and maybe add a rescue preparation. So rescue in terms of they need a little bit more. So here you can have this. We don't have to do it every day, but you know it's damp out or you had too much exercise here. Let's do this. Let's get you over the hump. Even if it was a pharmaceutical, it's like, okay, here you go. But we don't need to just rely on that. And that's all we got. You know, this thing that comes out of a nice white bottle, here's your Mm. chewy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there are so many benefits beyond what that medicine can do. That is really structurally important. Releasing the fascia, improving circulation. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. That no drug can compare with no CBD product. No, even if it was a little bit more cannabis, THC or whatever. I mean, so the way I look at it is, what are the problems the animal has? What's the mechanism of the disease? How can we best match that mechanism of with mechanism of healing to bring them to a better state? And thinking about all the rational science based ways that various integrative modalities and conventional ones work. So what makes the best match and how do we manage that over time and change things as needed? That's a great framework to understand how to approach life Mm -hmm. as well as medicine, right? That let's see what we can do with the body itself that's not interventional, but just is supporting and shoring up the body's own resources mm-hmm. and then add things as necessary and do the least invasive first and build from there yeah. so that you add more support if needed. Yeah, I think we get really, um, I don't know if this is unique to Americans. I suspect this is partly cultural. We really like to buy something that will fix a problem for a consumer society. And we think, oh, I have a problem. What is the thing I can buy to solve it? Yeah. Well, right. Well, they could buy a PEMF bed, a pulsed electromagnetic field bed, uh, you know, or a loop or a a handheld laser or LED device. So certainly stuff you can buy. So to meet that need, because I like online shopping very much, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. And then also looking at the environment, like, you know, the parents going through a divorce or the kids too noisy. Is there a television blaring all the time? So the whole thing, the social, environmental, nutritional, I mean, and it's for the people too. If there's a conscientiousness about living well, 
that should be for all inhabitants in that household. And yeah, I mean, that's what life's about. Let's not just be popping pills all the time, natural or not. Right, exactly. We're going to take a short break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk about specific CBD brands and products for dogs. And now a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. 
I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with Dr. Narda Robinson. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about brands that you trust and also about whether dogs do better on an oil versus a chew-based product or any other type of product. I don't think there's any other thing else for dogs, but yeah. I mean, I think a big area for cannabis for animals is our salves, but we can come back to that. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, far and away, I don't think it's disputed at all that Elvet, E-L-L-E-V-E-T, I mean, that mm-hmm. from what I can see is the leader in terms of who has done the research, who is working with university people and, and publishing. Mm-hmm. So what we don't have is a side-by-side comparison. I mean, there could be even better preparations out there from other people. But they haven't done the studies and the publishing. Right, right. Well, sometimes, I mean, they might have a study or two on something. But, you know, if you had a population of dogs with seizures or post some kind of surgery or something, and they got product A or product B or a placebo, which would be sad, you know, (laughs) but that's research. So you'd need side-by-side comparison. But then it's like, oh, here's somebody, let's say, that made this salad versus this salad. I mean, because it's not that you're just changing. It's not just here's one chemical versus one chemical. But still, you could do this chemical, this manufacturer's thing, product A, product B, and whatever. Or, you know, your usual conventional medication so that they're not without something. So that could be done, but that's not done. Why not? Money? Yeah, probably. Nobody wants to pay for it unless they have a financial reason to have that study. That's often it. I mean, maybe somebody's doing it right now, but I have never seen a study like that. Okay. And then when it comes to type of preparation, this is something that we were thinking about when we were starting the research at CSU, because like, I'd rather eat a cookie than have somebody squirt a dropper full of strange smelling thing in my mouth. Right. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, when, if you put it in a cookie or something, how does it change So 
How does the batch get mixed up? Is it evenly distributed through the biscuit? Um, what happens when you cook it again? What's the shelf life? So it changes. It's not as stable and reliable a preparation okay. as it is in an oil. And based on what I've seen, I, I at least some of the research, it looks like it's the oil-based stuff. But, you know, Elvet might have, you know, research that shows that there's a capsule. But I, I tend to think it's going to be an oil-based preparation. But the salves, um, again, being Can a Can I color- ask you a question about the oil? Yeah. Can you just add it to their food and mix it in if they are a clean-the-plate kind of dog, if you are confident they'll eat everything? Yeah, yeah. Some are less discriminating. I don't see why not unless I haven't kept up with – I don't know if there's a thing like you want it on an empty stomach Mm. or not. I don't see why. I mean, if you're going to have edibles, (laughs) that's not an empty stomach. That's not an empty stomach. (laughs) Defeating the purpose. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, even for – I mean, you get into like rabbits and horses that would forage on some of this stuff and, and maybe it's raw and so it hasn't been converted yet. So I think there's so many cool things to think about in terms of just like if they were out in a field, yeah, they might have a little nibble of something. You get into the idea of zoopharmacology where animals are drawn to certain medicinal plants when they have even certain conditions that they more access certain things. So if only we hadn't destroyed the environment like this and there were fields with a lot of diversity and animals were free to roam and all that, that would be so nice. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Um, so salves, you were going to talk about salves. Salves, salves I, I think are great. And especially being in Colorado and having access to a variety of salves, not all that are THC free. So I'm not saying we should lather dogs with butter with THC on it. So we would still want to stay in the low or no THC kind of thing for not for dogs. But from a human perspective, because I have been registered with the state of Colorado as somebody that could write a prescription for medicinal marijuana, but I, I'm letting that lapse because it's like, why bother? Um, people can just go. It's, people don't it, need a prescription people anymore don't need a prescription. in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. So in some of my human patients, it's like, well, if you have knee pain, you don't need to ingest stuff, get it all through your system, deal with the liver processing and everything. Get a salve of whatever makeup that I would discuss it with them and put it on your knee so that your endocannabinoid receptors, if there is THC in it, they will be right there. That's where you need the pain control. That makes sense. And yeah, my patients won't be licking their knee, but whereas a dog could. But if, if still, if that composition of the salve was not injurious and did not have record levels of some kind of product in it, you know, some kind of very hallucinatory cannabinoid, it's not a big deal. Are there salves available that you would use with a dog as opposed to a human? I mean, there's no, as far as I know, there's no veterinary salves. Okay. But I don't see a problem with if a predominantly CBD salve, but I don't think people are exploring that yet. But I, I think it's just really a great idea. Is there a, because um, I know there's so many human salves now. I mean, you can get an entire skincare line that's filled <laughs> with cannabis products, right? So in the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what, like if I, if I have a dog who's really arthritic right now or in some sort of a, like, I feel like they're in a lot of pain and it's local, it's not systemic, but it's local. And I feel like I could probably just give, like put a little salve on my dog's hip. What would I look for? I mean, I, I'd want to see what exactly was in there mm-hmm. because a common inclusion herbally 
in SAV type things for humans is comfrey. So I'd want to know what the vehicle was. So, you know, everything in there, like, let's assume they're going to lick it off. Is any of that toxic? And, and comfrey is to dogs. Comfrey is. Yeah, it has pyrrolizidine yeah. alkaloids in it that are hepatotoxic. So liver toxic thought maybe that there is a potential link with cancer. Okay. So we really don't want that in there. And But, you know, it has pretty little flowers. and Yeah. It looks nice. So people won't know. It could be like, oh, this is all herbal and it might have really toxic pennyroyal in it. I mean, so that's the issue. So yeah, I'd feel more comfortable if there was a product manufacturer that was for veterinarians or veterinary use that had just, you know, it's just kind of like, um, I don't know, just some kind of safe oil. It was flaxseed oil or something. Mm-hmm. So there's there's always something, but we're, we've come a, such a long way in not a very long time to be able to increase these options and make drug companies nervous about losing some of their market share. Yeah, for sure. We're <laughs> interested in in patenting all of the little molecules and right. taking it out of the farmer's hands. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a complex... Um, yeah, and just to put a button on it, because I know how frustrating it is for folks whose veterinarians won't talk about these products at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to ask you if you could defend that choice a little bit on the part of a veterinarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I have I have a um, continuing education program. It's like 20 hours on cannabis uh, in veterinary medicine. And one of the 10 modules is on legal considerations. So I ask them to research from their own state board, what are their guidelines? And there are states, particularly in the southeast of the United States, where you can lose your license if you even discuss, even if you raise the It's like, well, okay, First Amendment, uh, anyone, you know? So, I mean, it's enough of a precarious situation what's going on in the country already, but yeah, they would be in a lot of trouble. So it's legitimate that some are very concerned. I know when I was spending some time in Canada, 2016 and later, that, uh, you know, there, there was a question because a lot of Canadian veterinarians thought that the CBO College of Veterinarians of Ontario, that's their regulatory body, CBO, they thought that they were saying it would be illegal to discuss it at all. And they were more like, no, it's just you can't prescribe it. You can't sell it in your practice. And that's still a lot of what's in the U.S., although things have changed and, you know, hemp has been reconsidered. But yeah, it's, it's like if you don't, that we, for in general, we don't know what the safe doses are. Yes, Elvet has done a lot of research and other companies have done some research, but that's with their product. We can't say that every other product and whatever is safe. So we are really still at the beginning and it's still a cannabis derivative so just the, I, this will be my last little story, but we were at a AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association meeting several years back. And it was when I was probably at the height of my involvement with CSU and cannabis. And um, there was a DEA agent there. And so I forget who we got to go up to her and say, what would happen if we gave animal CBD? She goes, well, essentially you'd lose your license because yeah. it's still a cannabis derivative. So... I don't know. You know, there's all these acts and CBD is like, okay, it's hemp. And if it's this, that, then, okay, we'll look the other way. But I mean, going from Colorado to Wyoming, 
um, <laughs> things can change very suddenly over the border there. So, And until it's off Schedule 1, yeah, the DEA has the right to enforce the federal law in every state, even if they are currently kind of turning the other way. They mm-hmm. That is still a risk. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they will not, but that's, you know, it's right. a federal, it's federal, it's not a state. So the fear is real for veterinarians. It is real. And you have certain organizations, I think it's like the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy, mm-hmm. and that they certify people. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, all certifications are kind of self-appointed. And it's not like any state is saying, yeah, you go people and you do that. But that's the thing, like people can find, you can access products typically. I mean, maybe you, I don't know, maybe there are states that you would get in trouble if they found it in the mailbox. I don't There are other things they're regulating more heavily, I think right now. But I mean, you can find so much stuff yourself and move to Colorado where <laughs> right. I can get organic, you know, 10 minutes away. And <laughs> so anyway, maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll all be enlightened. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a, it's a tricky one. So it is tricky and people shouldn't think it's not tricky because it's still tricky. Yeah. I feel bad for veterinarians who sort of can't discuss it at all. And then their clients get really angry and think they're resistant. And often they're not at all resistant. <laughs> they're reading the That's same right. stuff that you're reading and they're going, I wish I could work with this, but it's too risky for me and my family. That's right. And so what what do people end up doing? I mean, in the dispensary 10 minutes away, if I said, I'm a client, I need something, my dog has back pain. And they, you know, this person who has not gone to vet school is probably not a veterinary technician or, you know, go to a pet big box store or something. Sure. Here, take this. You know, so the clients are left getting advice from people that don't have any veterinary background. Right. And there is a difference between the way things happen in the dog's body versus the human body versus the cat's body. Right. And veterinarians have that knowledge of all these different animal systems and how they work. And they're all very different, which is why I had a a friend who's a doctor and he said, oh, when I figured out what veterinarians have to go through... I decided to go to medical school <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's like, just learning one system is hard enough. Having right. to learn so many others. <laughs> right. Right. And the diseases and, and think about the drugs that they're on and they can, Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So interesting. Mm-hmm. I think veterinarians have to be very open-minded in some ways and yet are often accused of being closed-minded. So I just wanted to put a little pin in that, but sometimes they have other reasons for just not discussing things like, Cannabis. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad we touched on that because that it is a big issue in certain states. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Narda Robinson. As always, it's a pleasure. Same here. Yeah. Always love to see you guys. And thank you, friend, for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this series as much as I did. We sure covered a lot of ground from how cannabis research in dogs got started to how it can help your dog and the customization and different products we might see in the future. We have many more interviews and resources about cannabis and CBD for dogs, and you can find all of those on our website at dogcancer.com. You can also check out the show notes for links mentioned in today's episode. And if you've used CBD for your dog with cancer, please share your experience in our Facebook support group. That's Dog Cancer Support. You can find it at dogcancersupport.com or just search for Dog Cancer Support on Facebook. I'm Molly Jacobson, and from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. 
Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcancer.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. 